are, are we doing the right things? Are we doing them the right way? Are we getting them done well? And are we getting the benefits or the value? Right? I've gone through those with many, many, many clients and, and they, they go, oh yeah, I, I think we're you know, doing the right things. I think we're doing them the right way. I think we're doing them quite well. And oh, benefits. I think we better go back to question one. <laughs> Technology is transforming how we think, how we lead, and how we win. From InterVision, this is Status Go, the show helping IT leaders move beyond the status quo, master their craft, and propel their IT vision. It is reported that between 70 and 90% of digital transformation projects fail. If that stat sounds familiar, it should be. IT projects have been failing at about that same rate for decades, probably since we started having technology projects in the first place. Today on Status Go, we're going to dig into why. Recently, I was preparing to facilitate a workshop for a group of emerging leaders. My charter was to introduce the topic of portfolio management. I love how the universe sometimes tends to bring you information when you need it and this time was no exception. I was in the process of reading the new book, Digital Transformation Demystified, when I got to chapter four, Value, the Guiding Star. The chapter was written by John Thorpe. John is an internationally recognized author and leader in the field of value and benefits management. His chapter not only covers portfolio management, it may just answer that question. Why do so many projects fail? So, John, it is my honor and privilege to to welcome you to Status Go this afternoon. Well, thank you, Jeff, uh, and it's a pleasure to be here talking with you, John. Your your background is fascinating, and and every time that we speak, whether it's uh, in our prep for this or on the Institute Fellows calls, uh, I learn more about your background. You've lived and worked on several continents. You've been a leading voice in technology for many years. Can you share a little bit about your journey and what brought you to this place today? Oh, well, it was simple money, but uh, but I but that was, <laughs> I was not, not in the way you might think. But I I uh, I worked for sixty years, actually sixty years, but sixty years this year, and I started as a computer operator back in nineteen sixty three in London. I took that job because it paid twice as much as the other two jobs I was offered. I had no idea what a computer was. I was I was interviewed. I passed an aptitude. I flew through an aptitude test. I loved aptitude tests. They were like playing games to me. And I was interviewed by three guys. I had no idea what the job was interviewing for. But I said, well, I, I've, I've, I've applied. I've, I've taken actually another job. I've got to know by the end of the week if you're giving me a job. So they sent me a telegram. That was the days. And, uh, and I took the job. And, and I, when I walked in the first day, they said, well, the computer's in here. And I didn't know what the computer was. But apparently, I was operating it. And so I started operating it. And, I, then, and then I learned. Then I thought, how does this thing work? And I taught myself how it worked. And the rest is history. But I should tell you, it was a 4K computer, a 4K IBM 1401 with no no storage, had tape lines. You know, it had tape, tape drives and card readers and card punches. I was the operating system. There was no operating system. So I actually had to spend time with the users asking, what, why are you doing this? So I, was, I sort of started focusing on value right on, you know. And uh, so I had two, I love the technology. It was, it was mental jogging to me. 
But but understanding the value they wanted was what drove me. And and over the years, working in living in several countries, working in a lot more, my focus has been on helping clients to actually get value from their use of information technology. Um, And in most cases, I've discovered that I I almost invariably discover is what they think they need is what they wanted isn't what they needed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And and, and so I had to help them get clarity on that. And 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 they had to they had to think about how how exactly you're going to use this. So you you want this technology? Why do you want it? How are you going to use it? Do you understand the business changes you have to make if it's going to work? And do you recognise that you have to own this, not just toss it over the line to the IT guys? I've had I've had executives throw me out, say, you know, I, I, you're an IT guy. Why am I? Why are you asking me these questions? Well, that's a, that's when I know I'm not. They're not a client, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's that's how I got here, and it's been a, it's been a fascinating journey. We we were talking before we went on the air about uh, the changes that uh, that you and I have seen in in our careers. Mine's not quite as long as yours. I'm a couple decades behind you, but I'm catching up fast. So I do want to talk about the chapter in uh, digital transformation demystified. Let's start with answering the question why. You call it a labeling problem. What is this labeling problem, and how is it? causing these projects or initiatives to fail? Well, the labeling problem is IT, but I'll, 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 I'll explain why that's the <laughs> um, because, because labeling and managing investments in IT-enabled business transformation, IT investments, is nonsense. They're not IT investments. They're investments in, they're investments in, in, in significant business and organizational change. And abdicating accountability for that to the chief information officer is the root cause of failure of most of these things. This is an IT issue. You take it. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't want to denigrate CIOs. I mean, some CIOs are good at the business side, but many aren't. Mm-hmm. And, and many of the people in the IT department are. They love the bits and bytes. Um, business value doesn't come from technology alone. In fact, in and of itself, technology is just a cost. value comes from the business change that technology both shapes and enables, but also requires if value is going to be taken from it. About 10 years ago, Charlie, Charlie Arujo invited me to join the the Institute, what it was then called the IT Transformation Institute. And and after a few months, maybe a couple of years, I said, you've got to change the name of this. You know, it's still got the IT label on it. So we renamed it the Digital Transformation Institute. And guess what? Everyone still thinks digital is IT. It's got IT in the middle of it. So it it really hasn't changed. The name change didn't help. And that's unfortunate. It's really the failure of business leadership to understand this and the lack of focus on value that's been the subject of discussion over many, many years. Mm -hmm. That's the problem. Despite all this discussion, nothing much has changed. There's there's an unwillingness of the business leaders, those who are ultimately accountable for value, to get engaged in and take ownership of this transformation, preferring to abdicate their accountabilities, I've said before. There's a failure to actively involve the stakeholders affected by the change. We just do it to them. And if you don't involve the stakeholders and you don't get their understanding and buy-in, failure is pretty much a foregone conclusion. And, that, and that's been my mantra for years. But now we have a very intelligent workforce. We have a lot of unnecessary managers and business leaders is so far away from the front line, they don't know what's going on. Yeah. So yeah. the model's almost backwards, right? We've got to, we've got to flip it. But the, but the result of this, there's a lack of rigor in the front end investment decision of what is, and then there's what is universally almost a totally ineffective business case process. 
Well, and we're going to dive into the, to that here in a minute as well. But you you mentioned the V word value, uh, and, and I think you even use this uh, this line in the book, if I recall. Uh, isn't value somewhat like beauty? It's in the eyes of the beholder. So how do you help the executives define value for for their organization? Well, because they're one of the beholders, <laughs> ultimately. <laughs> Certainly in the private sector, and well, maybe it's not ultimately, and I'll correct that in a minute, but it, it, when you produce a product, ultimately the customer determines the value. <laughs> you have to do the best yeah. job you can of deciding what you think the value is, but ultimately they're going to be the judge of that. So, yeah. you know, I, I think the, the fundamental problem is just a lim- limited understanding of what is value. Mm-hmm. I, um, many years ago, I, I was in Australia and I was, I was having lunch with the CEO of a large, a largest Australian company who were implementing a, a large ERP project. And we won't go down that road, but I'm about to actually. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it, it was a typically over budget, behind schedule, large ERP installation. And I said to him, I, I said to him, you know, what do you expect? What value are you looking for in this? He said, I don't know, but I'll, I'll know it when I see it. Uh, yeah. And I, and I said, well, if I were you, I'd be polishing off your CV. And uh-huh. sure enough, it was gone in a year, as was the ERP project. Oh, wow. Wow. You know, you've got to, if, if you don't understand at the front end why you're trying to do this and you don't put enough thought and effort into it and understand how you're going to measure it, it's going to fail. And, and in fact, that you talk about the failure of, of technology projects, the, the rate is even higher for digital transformation initiatives if you look at it. Yeah. It's gone up. Okay, because it's, they're even more complicated. Uh, and, and the problem is that strategies to create and sustain value are poorly defined and even more poorly communicated. And I find it ironic that executives who can't actually define what the value is express frustration when they don't get it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and as you say, it's in the eye of the beholder. In the past, the focus has largely been on shareholders uh, for the last few decades, and they don't have a very long-term view. no. No. Maybe shareholders, as they were originally meant to be, it was the poor guys you could put a few bucks in and make some money. And now mm-hmm. they're large shareholders. You just want to get in, cash in and get out. So right. they don't have a long-term view. Uh, however, in the evolving digital world, there are many types of value. Um, it, it, can be, it can be functional value, monetary value, environmental, social, psychological value, and a broad range of, of, shareholders, of, of, of beholders, in this case, stakeholders. Some of this is being driven primarily out of the European out of the European Union now because they have this ESG framework where you say you've now got to oh, look yeah. beyond the business mm-hmm. to the environment and society and governance. And it's it's a bit of a broad definition, but it really is encompassing what we need to start thinking about. Yeah. And, and yeah. some organizations are doing that, but the extent to which it's it's token and the extent to which it's real, I'm not sure. Okay. Right. right. And as described by the title of the book. With, unless you have a clear understanding of what constitutes value for your organization, any road will get you there. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> yeah. Use, you know, what's the name? Alice in Wonderland and the rabbit. You know, if you don't know where yes. you're going, any road will get you there, right? Yeah. And, and if yeah. you look at the Standish, Standish Group, I don't know if they still do these surveys, but they did these surveys for years on, on the, the failure rate of IT projects. And, and they found that 53%, there's a huge failure rate, but 53% of them, have what's called value leakage at the strategic level, mm-hmm. and 32% have value leakage at the architectural level. So that's a total of, if I do a quick arithmetic, 75%, no more than that, three, five, yeah, 85% of leakage, and it's at the top. And they're losing now, value, the, so the value that they were trying to get before. 
Yeah, because they never put the effort into defining it and what it was going to take to get it. Yeah. The, the value is not usually lost down at the project level. The guys build what they're told to build. Yeah. yeah. Well, they can't build it all because they always don't have enough money and it always extends or whatever. But basically, they can build the code. So basically, the rot starts at the top. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was I was in the construction industry for a while, and we, we always threw around the, the word, uh, we value engineered that. What they mean is you cut costs out of something. <laughs> Yes. And, and get its functionality to the barest minimum, and that's value engineering. And I think that carries over into the IT world. Oh, yeah. And if you look, I mean, I, I, we have a colleague, I have a colleague that, that I, I talk to occasionally is in the construction business, building roads in, in the UK, highways in the UK, which is a bit of a challenge now because it takes decades to build highways and people are moving out of towns now. Mm-hmm. So you can imagine a bit of an issue, or we'll just, we'll just move the highway. But if, yeah. if you have to look, you can't find the word value in any, in any of the conversations. <laughs> it's about delivering capability yeah. within cost, and that's it. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I love the way that you, you boil it down to... Uh, when you're meeting with the, the CEOs and the executive suite, you boil it down to four pretty simple questions, simple to ask, maybe yeah. not so simple to, to answer. So what are the four R's? Yeah, they're, 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 well, let me tell you. Yeah, are, are we doing the right things? Are we doing them the right way? Are we getting them done well? And are we getting the benefits or the value? Right? Mm-hmm. And I used to say benefits, but really it's value, but benefits is fine. And uh, I've gone through those with many, many, many clients. And, and they go, oh, yeah, I, I think we're you know, doing the right things. I think we're doing them the right way. I think we're doing them quite well. And, oh, shit, benefits. I think we better go back to question one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's amazing. On a whiteboard. I've just done this. And that's what they go, oh. oh. Yeah. <laughs> but that, the, the reason is they're simple questions, right? Yeah, yeah. They're not simple to answer. They are not. But how do you use that conversation to help the company drive their transformation? Is it that eye-opening experience, or or you take it further? Well, with because it? then you can link it into okay. Well, you need a, if you got what is that? What is the process you need to take? What are we doing the right things? So that's your strategic process, right? Mm-hmm. And then what do you need to know you're doing the right way? That's your architectural process. And how do you do it? Well, those are your delivery processes. And how do you get the benefits? Well, that has to be built in everything, into everything. And also yeah. it has to be around it. So it's, it, it gets them to start thinking about the processes, but within a very simple framework. Yeah, yeah. And it, and it, and it happened to me that way. I, I mean, I, I was presenting, I was presenting these, my, I have these lovely process charts of what I still call the strategic governance framework. Mm-hmm. And I was presenting it to a board, like, yeah, a board, and, I, I haven't gone very far, and I said, excuse me, um, this is all gobbledygook to us. <laughs> <laughs> what exactly are you trying to say here? And I thought, hmm, well, that's not, you know, consultants don't like to hear that, but I thought, yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, well, basically, it's these four questions. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and he said, okay, why didn't you tell us that? And now get on with it. And actually, yeah. they became a very long-term client after that. So I learned from that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And I put those four R's and they were they were embedded in, in a book that the information paradox that I wrote almost twenty-five years ago with what was then DMR consulting, it's now Fujitsu Consulting, mm-hmm. and in the mid-90s, and that became the basis for the DMR macroscope, which encompasses all those processes, which is now called the Fujitsu Macroscope methodology. 
Uh, and it's basically a suite of methodologies that involves strategy, doing the right things, bring, you know, architecture doing the right way, delivery getting them done well, and, and benefits getting the benefits. Now, these four R's have to be the most widely uh, quoted and even occasionally attributed things I've ever done in my life because <laughs> they, they appear everywhere. But I don't mind that. And that's what people should be doing. Yeah. And, yeah. At the, and at the board and the executive level, that the primary process that, that supports them asking those questions, answering those questions, is portfolio management. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and that's, a, that's a great segue into, into my next question. Uh, but before I get into that, I will say I will be quoting you tomorrow as I teach this workshop uh, because I use the four R's, but I do attribute them to you. So, so you'll have attribution. I, I don't care. I do. I, I care a little. It's, you know, it's it's polite, and it, but it's uh, at least it's working. I mean, it's there. People get it. Yeah. 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 Well, you can do it in an elevator, you know. <laughs> yeah, you can. You could, uh, especially. I, I love that. You know, they answer the first question, they answer the swag, second. They get to benefits, and they're like, "Oh God, we got to start over at question one again." That's. <laughs> it gets so ingrained. I divert for a minute, but when I, I, I work with a whole group of people who did this, and we go to the pub, and and we make decisions. So, well, is this the right decision? <laughs> 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 What, what what beer should we have? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that may be getting that may be taking your analyst hat just a bit too far. Yeah, it was, but, but it, yeah. it gets imprinted there. Right? That's yeah. right. That's right. Well, I, I mentioned it at the outset, and and you mentioned it just just a moment ago. Uh, uh, portfolio management, and and your chapter on this really resonated with with me and without giving too much away from the chapter, cause I want people to go buy the book and, and, and read it. Um, what are some of the keys to successful portfolio management in your mind? Well, let me just front end it by saying why I think it's important. And I'll tell you this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'd love to say you can go and buy the book, but it's hard to find. But you can, if they go into the Fujitsu website, they can download a free copy of it. So, Oh, there you go. There you go. I mean, it's, it, you'll have to hunt through it because it's been there for a while, but it's still there and you can download it. So, I mean, it, I, I, I call it the bridge to value because the, the board and the executive are accountable to a broad range of stakeholders. I talked about this. When effectively used, it's the bridge between the board and the executive and the people who have to do the work. Mm -hmm. And in doing so, it provides rigor to the investment decision and provides a dashboard for the investments to be managed on an ongoing basis. It's not a new concept. I mean, portfolio management originated in the 1700s in Italy, if you've done any research on this. <laughs> uh, describing a case based on Latin words means to carry papers. Oh, so wow. wow. Carrying their portfolio. It, really, it really was a portfolio, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah it yeah, was a yeah. portfolio. And since then, the use has been extended to describe, categorize, and almost anything we do. I mean, we all have a portfolio of investments. We're used to that, right? Yes, well, yes. The executive has to have that mindset about their technology-enabled investments. They have to treat them just the same. In fact, it's even more important <laughs> because you're putting your company on the line, right? And in the context of value, its use here is it's in describing and categorizing and evaluating investments in, in, in digitally-enabled change. Mm -hmm. And while it could be considered a very analytical process or a substitute for business judgment, it really supports the board and executive in, in doing several things. One, making objective selection based on of business change programs in line with their strategy to maximize value. 
and proactively monitoring and adjusting that portfolio, portfolio and the resulting assets through the full life cycle. Yeah. Now, that's very hard to get them to do, by the way. Uh-huh. Um, they, 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 they rarely even celebrate. They rarely even go back and look at the business case, let alone manage it for the next five years. Right. right. In fact, the, the value doesn't start to come till you've implemented it and, and, the, and the project in theory has ended. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. when we pass it, move on to the next thing. So it's nonsense. You know? yeah. um, fact, there's factors to be considered in managing it. You've got to manage risk. Mm-hmm. So, so you've got to you've got to manage risk by diversifying the portfolio and, and improving its risk profile. It's okay to take risk, but it better be a large. It must be a large benefit that's going to come with that risk. Yes. And you better understand the risk and, and the metrics that you're telling you where that risk is becoming an unacceptable level of risk. And all that. first thing you want to do is kind of eliminate the risk by taking action. If you can't eliminate it, you've got to monitor it. Um, you've got to manage program independencies. I mean, how many people? How many programs are going on organizations that are doing the same thing? Right, right, right. But differently. Yeah. Even in, even in smaller organizations, that happens. Yes, yes. Oh, yeah. Small organizations are probably even more so sometimes. Mm-hmm. But I, so you can, you can manage those independences so that programs leverage each other rather than completing for resources. Yeah. And you continue, you can, it's not a once done, and, once done and dusted thing. You can continually adjust the portfolio comp, comp, composition as programs are completed and new, new ones are selected. Or, and priorities change, so you can continually, as you do. I think, I think, thinking of a financial portfolio is exactly how you manage it. You now, this share, this is underperforming. This one, why we, we should move it out? Why is this one underperforming? Can we tweak it? Okay, well, that's what it does. Um, there's, there's a couple of things that really help you do it in terms of tools. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you don't spend all this amount of time on everything. You've got to categorize your programs. I mean, there's certain things you've just been, you're told to do. You have to do it. It's, it's by yeah. government audit. You want to do it effectively and efficiently, but you're not going to decide whether you're going to do it. You're going to right. do it. Yeah. Uh, but there are other things that are optional. And they, so they, they, they require different handling depending on the degree of freedom allocating funds and the complexity of the investment. Mm-hmm. Uh, but a sound system for categorizing them and having the management focus on the key business decisions is what we need to do. Um, and another thing that supports that is what I call value, value or benefits mapping. There's something called the results chain, which you may or may have not heard of, which I helped develop in Fujitsu. <clears throat> and again, that's been fairly broadly adopted in slightly different forms and renamed by many people. Mm-hmm. But it's essentially a very simple process that says it has four elements, really. The out- outcomes, or there's intermediate, there's end and intermediate outcomes. Mm-hmm. There's initiatives, there's, uh, there's, there's um, assumptions, and there's contributions. And you just yeah. map that yeah. with metrics. It's very simple, but it's again, it's at a level the board can understand if you present right. it at a high level. Um, and it, it's, it's a key tool for helping do this. And it can be used at several levels. You know, you can have an overall map just showing how the portfolio is contributing. You can have a, a high level map of one investment or you can drill down into the detail. Yeah. And there are many organi- there are many examples of all of those. But at the board level, I mean, I was working with. Boeing, I can say, I would say a large aeroplane manufacturer, which so long ago I can say Boeing now, I guess. But and they were they were trying to totally revamp their their military aircraft capability, you know, the process. I, I've never worked for a client before where I had to be escorted to the washroom. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep, high security. Yes. It was fairly interesting, but but and and there was the guy, the head of the the head of the division. It was a big division. 
they've been wrestling with this for ages and they eventually called us in to do this. So we went through and I eventually put together a very simple results chain. Not with, uh, it took a long time to do that. And, and there, was a, there, was a, there was the day when he came in to look at it and you can imagine the level of angst there was around the room. Uh-huh. But he sort of walked in, looked at it and said, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> you got it. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, but so it, it's getting clarity at the senior level of what you're trying to do. Yeah, yeah. And in fact, <laughs> that whole episode came out because we were told the executive were relying about it. Oh, no. Oh, no. He said, we were just having a chat on an airplane. <laughs> 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 but it ended up coming up with an outcome they needed. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So it's very critical. And it's not so much in the map that you create. It's in the process of the extensive interviewing and workshops that create it. Yeah. At Boeing, I got the I had the pass to the executive floor when I did this, mm-hmm. and I, I interviewed every executive. Not many people ever got to do that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and it worked. We ended up solving the problem. Well, it it helps uh, when when the executive level, when that floor, so to speak, is involved. Uh, it helps to. Uh, have a mutual understanding of what value is for what yeah. you're trying to do yeah. um, and buy into the decisions. And, and I think as, as I read your, your chapter, John, part of what, what struck me was that not only do we label projects as IT projects and we hand it off to the CIO, but so many times program management and portfolio management falls to the CIO. Uh, well, and, and and that's that's the root of part of this problem, right? Yeah, it's 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 yeah, it's, it's even worse. I think. I mean, I, I do, I don't do. I'm, I'm associated with the Association for Project Management in the UK, and and I have worked with the Project Management Institute in in the UK and and more in the US. Mm-hmm. And if you look at their their portfolio, it includes those three things. They because there's no. And to be fair, because there's no attention given to it at the executive or management level, they've they've moved into their space. Yeah, yeah. Someone has to do it. Well, someone has to do it, but also they make a lot of money out of it because they they, they make money by training people, but they're training the wrong people. Yeah. You know, the the most people they train on this aren't going to be able to do it. They're not the right people. It's got to be that they're training the guys who are going to be good at project management, trying to get them to be good at program management and portfolio management. And not many of them have those skills. So, right. it's, been, so it's lost in that place. Yeah. And, and, and even if they have the skills, they don't have the influence in the position within the organization. Right. They don't have the access. Right. right to, to drive that. They don't, have, they don't have the keys to that floor. That never stopped me, by the way. <laughs> I mean, when I, was a, when I started as a computer operator, I would, I would, at the end of a shift, I would write messages to the boss saying, this is wrong. We should be doing, <laughs> we should be doing this. And I never stopped doing that. You know? <laughs> I've, yeah. I've, always, I've always had a healthy disregard for the management. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's probably what makes you a good consultant, John. So well, uh, before we wrap up, I want to I talk about an, another portion that you dedicate or another topic you dedicate a significant portion to is uh, the dreaded business case. Um, why, why is the business case such an important tool for driving value? Because it's, because they, they really, they're, they're, they're the, they're the 
that they force you to come up with the answers to the question I've just promoted. You know, give a clear definition of the outcomes you're expecting. Does force you to define how are you going to achieve these? How are you going to measure them? It makes you go through the rigor of, of, of documenting the things we've just talked about. Yeah. And, and, it, and it's generally seen as a useless exercise you have to go through, lie your way through it, and never come back to it. Get, get the approvals and move on. In yeah. Fact, yeah. To me, it's the most it's the most significant tool to support this. And it's not a once and done thing. It should also be a dynamic tool and that you're updating it as the things are changing. Well, now, how's the business case look now? This thing happening? Has it changed? And quite often you can find you can find more advantage if you look back on a business case and say, wait a minute, we learned some things here and we can actually do things better or it's not working and we better shut it down. So without that, there's no it's what keeps it's what keeps it going over that 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 that's that process and it's really just the they're they're measured by weight normally and i remember when when i was a thud factor when i was consulting i mean we would have to deliver the proposals in a truck yeah you know because yeah. it was, and no one ever read it right you had to go through all this it stuff it's yeah. you know the, I always thought we should have written the executive summary first because that's the only thing they really needed to read. But we, right. we, we wrote that at midnight before the truck arrived. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and just the size of those probably gave birth to the whole concept of executive summary anyway. Because yeah, I, those... I mean, you know, business cases, they've got to, they have to go behind the delivery of technology too. It's about yeah. what is all the change that's required. And they've got to ensure that appropriate me- metrics, both what I call lead and lag metrics, are in place yeah. because... And, and that you and that you also have what I call intermediate and end outcomes. You've got to, you know, what, where 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 on the journey can we see that we're on the right path? Right. Yeah. I, I don't we don't have time, but I use the analogy not in the book, but I have used the analogy in the past of sailing. Sailing, you know, uh-huh. you set you decide where you're going to go. You set your course, you get going, and then you take a you take a you take a bearing, and not where you want it to do to be. Yeah. So what do you just carry on? No, you say why aren't I where I am? Can I yeah. get back on course? Do I have to change my course? Do I have to change my destination or should I go home? Yeah. So yeah. you have to take the same thinking to yeah. this, okay, and, and, and use that. And, uh, and, and it has to be a living operational tool, not something that just gathers dust at the end. Well, and I think that's an important point. You mentioned this, you mentioned this earlier that um, so many times we, we create these, these – we may go through the process of creating these business cases or, you know, here's what the outcome is going to be. But the real value isn't seen until after the project is done. Absolutely. And, and most of the times that business case is long forgotten. We well, should, I mean, yeah. Right? We should be using those at the portfolio level to, to continue yeah. to measure yeah. that investment. Yeah. Well, you, you should be measuring it at the portfolio level, which causes yes. you to go back and revisit the business case. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. So that it's the tool that helps you to move that forward. Without that, you have no context. Yes. Yes. But again, it's it's seen as a as a terrible thing. You just have to do, and, and if you ever, work, I'm sure you work for the public sector, and the public sector always shuts down for two 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 weeks over Christmas. But they always have a budget to spend, so they send out propose they send out RFPs on De- December the twenty first <laughs> that you all have to respond to by January the something. Right, right. <laughs> that's right, the right. That goes into it. Uh, it's it's really got to be seen. Everyone sees all of these things as a nuisance. Well, no, they're a very valuable tool. If you're going to deliver value, if you're going to seriously manage value, you've got to think of portfolio management. You've got to think of the business case and its role in that process. Yeah. 
I, I, I am a, I'm a believer, John. I think, uh, as I've said, uh, this chapter really said, said a lot to me. I learned a lot as I was going through it and I've been doing this for a long, long time. Uh, um, now, we may, I think we talked about this in the in the prep call. I hope I hope I warned you because we're here on Status Go. We are all about action, and we'd love to leave our listeners with a very explicit call to action. So, John, what are one or two things our listeners should go do tomorrow because they listen to our conversation today? Well, I'll, I'll give you two short things and one slightly longer thing because I think you should always have a slightly longer idea. First of all, when you when you're anything you're any conversation you're having now, put value front and center, right? Yeah. yeah. Why are we doing this? How will we know we're succeeding? Is this aligned? I mean, every when someone tells you to do something or in the middle of something, question the value. Why are we doing this? Yes. Not just as a cynic. I mean, we need to understand that. Okay. Um, and, and that and everyone, everyone that be you board members or executives or managers or guys at the front line should be asking that question. Yeah. Second, recognize, fundamentally recognize this is not a technology issue. <laughs> this is a governance and, a, and an executive and a management issue. That's true. Not managing change. And recognize, and, and, and this is the longer term one now, that recognize that the, that, that, we, and if we're going to succeed in this, you know, the organizations in the digital world are going to have to make fundamental changes in the whole nature of their business. Yeah. And they have to break out of the straitjacket of, of industrial age thinking, sometimes agricultural age thinking, yes. uh, and, and, and uh, a siloed industrial age mindsets, evolving them into mindsets that are enabling, learning, and willing to try things and fail. Fail quickly, learn, and move on, and empower people with a more agile and inclusive approach to governance, leadership, and management. At the moment, the top-down stuff doesn't work today. I mean, it might work in some parts of the world doing very simple things, but they'll be automated anyway. But in a world where you've got an intelligent workforce, it's up, it's back, it's, it's back to front. Yeah. You, need to, you need to set the context, set, set your vision and whatever, although even then involve people in helping you, but then let them go <laughs> as long as they know you trust them, you know what they're doing, and you've got metrics in place to know they're doing it. Yeah. That is great advice. All, all three of those actions, the short term and the long term, those are those that's great advice for our listeners out there. John, I gotta thank you for carving out time to to do this. Uh, I know you are incredibly busy, uh, as you still have clients around the world that you're that you're working with. And uh, I just so appreciate your your insights and your wisdom today. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. Let me letting me vent again. <laughs> Anytime we'll have you back on. We'll do vent part two. <laughs> thank you. To our listeners, if you have a question or want to learn more, visit intervision.com. The show notes will provide links and contact information. This is Jeff Tun for John Thorpe. Thank you very much for listening. You've been listening to the Status Go podcast. You can subscribe on iTunes or get more information at intervision.com. If you'd like to contribute to the conversation, find Intervision on Facebook, LinkedIn, or Twitter. Thank you for listening. Until next time.